Welcome to Gen Z Hoops, the Gen Z basketball coaching and sports business show. On this podcast, you'll learn from professional players, coaches, and executives from all over the world and see the court in a brand new way. And now, joining you courtside, your Gen Z host, John Hartafillis. Coach Buckner, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Super excited to have you on. And it's been, it's been really awesome uh, communicating with you, getting to set this up because it's, it's really just awesome to talk to someone that, that's co- coaching a team that's really um, on the rise this year and seeing all the cool stuff you guys are doing. Um, to just start off our, our conversation, um, just kind of even before all this coaching stuff, you had a really amazing basketball career. If you could just tell us a little bit about that. I mean, getting drafted in 1998 to the Mavericks with one of the top five all-time leading scorers too. Um, right, obviously, right. a lot of stuff was going on at the time. What, what was that getting drafted like for you? Yeah, well, first of all, my kids wouldn't say I had an amazing career. They just said I had a career, to be honest with you. They always mess with me a little bit about how sorry I was in the NBA. But it, it, for me, it really was a truly uh, an amazing time at the time when I did get drafted. Didn't know anything about, you know, like you said, Dirk, who would end up being, you know, one of the top five scorers of all time, who ended up being one of the greats, probably a you know top 20 player of all time when it's all said and done. But, you know, just to get drafted, so many people want to get drafted. Uh, never was my dream to play in the NBA. My dream was just to get get a college scholarship and then to get a college degree and then go back home to Kentucky and see <laughs> where that gets me. And then when I got to Clemson, it just was one of those things where I played well and people started, you know, I started hearing buzz about maybe I can be an NBA player. And then, you know, I went after it. And uh, fortunately and blessed enough to get that opportunity to play in the NBA. Of course, I, I would never call a 10-year career is definitely a, a, a great career um, in, yeah. in NBA. It's very it's very difficult to do that. Not, not a lot of guys right. can. There's lottery picks come out after two, three years. So definitely. Right, um, exactly. Yeah. I would definitely. My kids are young. They don't know. They, but that's what yeah. we play games with each other. They, they are joke, they're jokesters just like I am. Uh, I think they, when they get older, they appreciate that. Maybe they, they expect you to like have to score 30 points a game like LeBron, but obviously <laughs> yeah, it's, not, exactly. it's not always, it's not always like that. <laughs> it's definitely always like that. During that tenure career, whether it's a different stops you were going to, what was kind of like that, that life as, as, as an NBA, whether it's a journeyman or just or someone that was just going through the league and, 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 and playing so many different roles on so many different teams? Like, where, where did you see kind of your, your career progress as you were going through it? Oh, well, I, I saw, um, you know, in the very beginning, not knowing if I belonged in the NBA, just because, you know, you get drafted. Some teams tell you they're going to take you in the first round. They don't. Their picks keep going and going and going. And then, you know, Dallas, who drafted me, I never worked out for, never communicated with him, never interviewed anything with him. And, you know, they took a flyer on me. And then the first day of training camp, you know, they they signed a couple other guys, give them guaranteed contracts. You go in there, they got 17 guaranteed contracts and only can keep 15. And then, you know, them making a promise that, you know, we're going to release you, but we're going to bring you back. And you're going to be a part of this franchise for a little bit longer. And, and they did that, and, and I had the opportunity to learn from some great vets, some great coaching from different stops, from Larry Brown to, you know, George Call to Avery Johnson. You know I mean, just, you know, Michael Cooper, who I looked up to as a, as a young kid watching him play against Magic, playing with Magic Johnson against Larry Bird. They've been around Kevin McHale, you know, in Minnesota. So, you know, met so many great people and had so many ups and downs been released. I think Dallas released me three times in my career. I think it was something like that, something crazy. And uh, and then, you know, playing on one of the best teams in the NBA with Dallas one year, we got beat by Golden State. So, so many ups and downs. But that's just part of the NBA. And you learn and live and, and enjoy the life of, of being an NBA player. 
especially when it comes to your playing career. That's why your story is so interesting thinking about someone. It, it's so, like we said, it's so hard to play 10 years in the NBA when you're a lottery pick, let alone someone that comes in the late second round has to, has to work for literally every single year, every single, you know, we, every single month um, to really get that opportunity. And you did that, which is awesome. Going away from your career, kind of what kind of made you, well, once you stopped playing, really, did you always know you were going to go into coaching? Was it something that you figured <laughs> out when you were playing? How did that, did it, did it happen? Was oh, it a boy. Yeah, my first seven years, I had no idea that I would coach. Uh, and then my seventh year, I ended up going back to Dallas, leaving Denver, going back to Dallas. And we, you know, we we're 67 and 15, I think it was, something like that. And, you know, we lost the first four games uh, just trying to get the, the kinks out of our armor. So then we just go on this crazy, crazy tour. And nobody could beat us a year but Golden State. So we played Golden State in the playoffs. They beat us. Avery Johnson uh, at the end of the season wants to make some changes. Didn't think I was offensively enough, offensively good enough to be a, a, a rotation that could win a championship. And they decided to move me on to Minnesota. And this is the year that Minnesota had got rid of Kevin Garnett. So they was in total rebuild mode, total, total rebuild mode. I get there and we're just young, young, young. And it just kind of was thrust upon me to be the coach in the locker room, to be the coach on the floor when I did play. And then they traded me that offseason to Memphis and had, and they was rebuilding as well. So I had to do the same thing. But I was tired of that. I was like, I'm not doing that. So I retired. You know what I mean? I, I probably had three or four more good years in me, to be honest with you. But it, at that point, I was just like, I'm, I'm tired of being on losing teams. Because after you've been on a team like Dallas, where every night you're going in there, you're winning games, you're kicking tails at high level, no matter who you play, you know, you still got opportunity to win. And then I'm playing and in the rotation. I'm in Dallas, where most of my family was at the time. So I was just enjoying life. And then to get hit with those two teams that was rebuilding, I mean, it was just difficult, very, probably the two hardest years of my life, other than my adult life, I should say. So I was just tired of it. So I retired and, and just started hanging out with my son and my nephews. And we started a, a me and my brother started an AAU program. And we just started coaching those kids. And then Kevin McHale got the Houston Rockets job. And I called him. He was my general manager when I was in Minnesota. I called him and said, you know, Mac, I've been doing this coaching with these kids. My last two years, I kind of was a coach in the locker room. And, you know, if you get that – you know, a chance. I'd like to interview with you. And I'm not asking you to, you know, promise me a job, but just let me interview, start that process, let people in the NBA know I want to coach. And he, you know, was like, you know, just come on up to Houston, Buck. I got a job for you. Uh, we'll start you off at player development. Then you'll work your way up into being on the front of the bench. And he was a man of his word. He gave me the opportunity. And that's how I got into coaching. It's amazing to think that when you when you uh, at the beginning when you were talking about just going from maybe a sixty win team to to a team that's winning in the teens, it's it's incredible to think about that. And even some some of your coaching stops have been where, where it's one big move. And like for example, the Rockets, you guys go from um, not having James Harden to having James Harden, right. um, which yeah. changes which changes a lot of things for a franchise. Um, right. I mean, when you, when you what did you say? Because you were doing player development for in Houston, and then um, worked you up to being an assistant coach. What did that? How did mm -hmm. that timetable work out with kind of the Rockets going from? maybe not making the playoffs to getting James Harden to now you have Dwight right. Howard. How did that all play out? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first year I was player development, it was the lockout year, the second lockout year. So, you know, the, the season just flew by. And then that summer we, we had a good draft. We drafted Jeremy Lamb, Terrence Jones, um, and Royce White. And then we had, we got a trade with the Monte Yunus. So we had some really good young pieces and a good core. And we still had uh, Kevin Martin on the team and, you know, it's one of those situations. We was the last game in the preseason, man. We, I was just talking about this the other day with Coach Brickerstaff, and we was talking about it with the other coaches, how we was doing our last game, and we had Jeremy Lamb out there, and we was trying to get him ready for the season because we knew we was going to have to depend on him a lot. And we got a text while we was doing the game and said, take Jeremy out the game. 
uh, we've made a trade for James Harden. We can't allow him to get hurt. So they, we took him out the game and, you know, we get James Harden that first game of the season. James Harden has like 40 or something, something crazy. <laughs> we was like, oh, boy, we got an excellent chance to be really good, you know, because you're only good as your, your players, especially your star player. And he really took us to another level. And then when he, you know, came about and, and Coach McHale, he just bumped me up and, and made me an assistant coach. It's just one of those things that, you know, he, he just wanted to see how serious I was about basketball, make me do the grunt, about coaching basketball, I should say, make me do the groundwork of player development. And then he gave me that opportunity. The story of Harding's game, I remember when it happened. He had 45 against the Pistons. Um, I, yeah. think it was Skip ba- I think it was Skip Bayless who went on TV the next day and said, um, the, the, uh, Hard- uh, something yelling, yelling over to OKC, you blew it, like, to make yeah, that right. trade. It literally was just so apparent it was on the first night. What, I mean, that team too, I mean, I, I, it was fun. I, I used to love watching that team, um, especially mm-hmm. when you guys got Dwight Howard. You guys had a great uh, one-two punch. I mean, you guys had some guys, which I'm really curious about, guys like Troy Daniels, who, and especially now it's kind of more, we kind of see it more often where guys maybe from the G League get their opportunity, right. guys that are late second-round picks are able to develop and get that opportunity. Um, and maybe back 20 years ago, it wasn't the same way, but how did you see a guy maybe like Troy Daniels really come in? He, he really had the, the game when he shot that one big moment. But yeah, what, was the, right. what, what happened before that to lead up to that? Yeah, it was one of those things where, I mean, Troy Daniels was one of those guys. He was, like you said, he was, a, I'm not sure if it was the D League at the time or the G League, whichever one, same league, just different name. And um, Daryl Morey loved shooting, <laughs> and Troy Daniels could really shoot it. And it was one of those things like, you guys are taking Troy Daniels, whether you like it or not. And he's like, okay, you're the boss. I mean, we're not going to fight it. He never played, never got an opportunity, really didn't know, hadn't proved to the coaching staff that he could play. So, wasn't like we was trying to develop him to play, you know, in the playoffs or anything. It was just one of those deals where we needed a, a bump. I think uh, Portland beat us twice at home in the playoffs. We had home court advantage. They beat us game one and game two, and we just needed something, some kind of spark. And then, you know, we go up to Portland, tough place to win a game, almost impossible to win a game. I think we won the first game, had an opportunity to win that second game, really should have won it. And, you know, I think – Troy was just – I think he won game three for us, if I remember correctly, because yep. we just need – we just threw him out there. And, you know, when you can shoot the ball like he can and very new, nobody knew about him, and, you know, he gets wide open shots, and he knocked him down for us. And it was a big a big boost for us. And, you know, game four, we still had a chance, and I think we made a couple bonehead plays down down the stretch that they took advantage of. But it wasn't like we was trying to develop Troy Daines to be a big-time rotation player. He just was at the right place at the right time when we needed a spark. And he, he took advantage of that opportunity. And, yeah, I think he ended up – not sure if Troy's still in the league, but he ended up with, an, a, you know, a nice little contract from a couple teams that, that he probably wouldn't have got if he wouldn't have been able to play in that playoff series. 100%. He was, play, he was playing until just last year. And it's it's funny. It's, it's interesting because when you say, like, something like – you know, we, just, we just put him out there. Very often does that happen. And very, very very rare does that happen in the NBA, but also very you know, rare than that that it actually works out. I mean, right, so right. someone makes the shot, the shot of their life. And that, that shot definitely made him multi-millions of dollars as opposed to if that shot didn't go in. It's crazy. Yeah, for sure. About. Yeah, for sure. It's one of those things where, you know, most of the times the coaches, you know, guys come from the G League. It's a little different now. You know, people come from the G League and you know, guys, they get an opportunity to play. But back then, you know, you really had to shine in practice. And, you know, in practice later on in the season, you don't really get too much up and down, competing to see how good a guy is. You know what I mean? So – he was lucky. We were lucky to have him right there and uh, to be able to make that shot and be able to to thrust him out there because not many coaches would have gave him that opportunity. We would have went with some other vet in the playoffs. We would have, you know, if we would have had another vet, to be honest with you, that was playing better. We went exhausted all options in the playoffs that year and 
he was the last guy and he took the, the, the most advantage of it, to be honest with you. Definitely. And then I, I kind of like this theme of underdog stories or comeback stories that were kind of mm-hmm. going under. But then the following year, you guys are down three, went to the Clippers and win that series um, in yeah. a really improbable fashion. So I feel like this, this is just a theme. I feel like everywhere you go, uh, it's just a recurring yeah. theme. Um, what, 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 I mean, in that, what was it like after game four going down three, one, what, what was that locker room like? And, and how did that play out? Oh man, it was crazy because to be honest with you at that, that year, the Clippers was a better team. There was more talented. There was more seasoned. They was more ready to go to the next level. Uh, at least, well, everybody thought they were, but we had our opportunity. We was down big in game five. And again, coach McHale had the guts, you know, <laughs> to say, you know what, James have a seat. Because James wasn't getting it done. He had the guts to put him down. And we put guys like Corey Brewer, uh, Josh Smith, I think it was Trevor Reza, Jason Terry, and Dwight. And they went out there, man. They was like, there's no way we're going to lose this game. And they felt, we felt like if we won that game, we was probably going to win the series. And it was one of those opportunities where Dwight ended up being a champion, Jason Terry and Corey Brewer are champions, Trevor Reza has championships. So those guys had championship DNA. So they wasn't going down without a fight. So they just kept going, kept going. Uh, Kevin McHale kept asking us, do we put James back in? We was like, no, we can't mess up this mojo. We'll save James for the next game. And it worked out for us. So those guys took us all the way home and we won that game. And then, you know, once you lose a game like that on your home court, uh, the Clippers didn't have a chance of beating us in the next two games. Definitely. It, it was, it was surreal watching it, seeing that game happen. And, and the yeah, momentum sure, switch was, yeah. was wild. It must be, must be some sort of record maybe for but, but, but time score, but also just yeah. the, time, the time in the I series. I mean, they was completely dominating us the first three, you know, two and a half, three quarters, maybe even three and a half quarters. And, and that group just got out there and said, man, we're not going out like this, you know, and they fought and fought and, you know, the basket gets tighter, gets smaller for them, gets wider for us. They're on their court. They, you know, I mean, it was flyers floating around and what they're going to do in the Western Conference Championship and things like that. And these guys like, no, no, you're not going to do that on our watch and make sure that those guys went home. No, awesome. And while you're with the Rockets, obviously, um, with Coach JB Biggerstaff on staff, we, we kind of mentioned before about kind of how relationships can are, are so vital um, in the NBA landscape. What did that relationship kind of look like, and how did it kind of progress to where now you're you're with the Cavs and, and doing all the cool things there? Man, uh, if you talk about the Minnesota, we go all the way back to Minnesota. JB was my uh, rebounding coach, and uh, he was a guy that worked me out. He was a guy that watched film with me while I was in Minnesota, and it was one of those relationships where we just developed that bond. We, we hung out, out uh, off the court. You know, we ate lunch, we ate dinner, you know, it's just one of those things with player coach relationship that normally doesn't happen, you know, to, to be quite honest with you. And, you know, he took me on his wing when, as far as that as a coach player. And then I kind of took him on his wing as, cause he's younger than me has been, you know, a, a big brother. He has a couple big brothers, but we was together so much that we became brothers. And then we both went to Houston with Mikhail. Uh, because of our Minnesota connections, one of those deals where Mac only had two hires. The management hired the other guys. And me and uh, JB was those guys. We was Mac's guys. And we just spent so much time together in Houston trying to develop the first the defense. Then we got on the offensive side and tried to develop the offense. And then when they fired Kevin McHale, he became head coach. And it's just like he leaned on me for so much that we developed that bond of being even closer. And then he got the Memphis job. We did the same thing. And now here in Cleveland, you know, we're doing the same thing, trying to, you know, develop a culture of winning, uh, a standard of winning, and have consistent winning regardless of who's in the locker room. Uh, we expect to win. 
Definitely. And obviously, that's what's been Cleveland's been having a really fun year this year. You guys started off super hot, um, winning your first few games. I was really super hot, excited to see that happening for you guys. Um, then there was a little bit of a dip, and now you guys are back on track a little bit. Um, what, what do you kind of say? What, what was that kind of maybe early stretch like where you guys were winning a bunch of games, lost a few, back to winning? And like, and how do you see that play continuing? Yeah, as it's part of the NBA, I mean, I think, you know, what we always try to do in training camp, uh, we always try to have our guys in great shape because we want to come out really early and, and try to steal some games from some teams that don't expect us to be really good. And that's what we did early on in the season. And we played hard. We played together. Our defense was very tight. We, we, we generated a lot of offense off our defense. And then the injury bug hit us. I mean, we played about five games without a point guard, and you know, without Darius, without Dante Exum, who, who's still out, you know, uh, without Colin. And, you know, we had Damian Dotson at the point guard, who's, who's been a two-guard his whole life. He, you know, even when he was in high school, he said, I never played point. And that's very rare for an NBA guy to never play point and to be on a perimeter. So he had never played point. So, you know, we got guys out of position. Then the drumming thing happened. So it's just the, the team is all over the place. You know what I mean? So we've had about three or four different teams. And so that was the dip. And then, obviously, you know, you go out west, you play Golden State, you play the Clippers, you play Portland, uh, you play Denver. I can't remember who else. And you're probably going to lose those games. You know what I mean? It, no matter how good you are, you go on the road, you, you, you try to win two or three of those. But – you know, it's a, ch- a good chance in those home court uh, advantages that those teams have. You're probably going to lose. And that's what we did. And, you know, it kind of snowballed a little bit. And then, you know, we got uh, back healthy, got into some uh, – got into a better group offensively and started getting back to our defensive mojo and, and helped us win some games. Probably should have ended the, the break winning five games in a row, but we let the Indiana game slip. Uh, just them being more veteran savvier than we, than we were at the time, and they stole one from us. And then obviously there's, just, there's really so much young talent on your team and it, it, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's just great seeing it. Obviously there's no first person comes down to everyone is, is obviously Colin Sexton. Um, and just the, the show he's been putting on all year, the, the, the near all-star campaign that many people think maybe he, he really had a, had a really, a really good shot at, at getting one. And then as well, the, the two game, the monsters two games he had against the Brooklyn Nets, which were a really imp- improbable wins that, that really made everyone say, Oh wow. Are the, are the Cavs are really, um, I really, really have something special that can that can progress over the next two years. Uh, being that it's your first year, maybe was there maybe when you first met him, just with this intensity and stuff, did anything really stick out to you that 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 really has he been proven to you all season long? Yeah, well, well, Colin is one of those guys who just works extremely hard. His his line is always, "I got to work harder, I got to work harder." And um, you got that type of mentality, you're only going to get better, you're only going to improve, you're only going to have an opportunity uh, to make an All Star team. People are going to start talking about you because I mean. He works his tail. He's probably, to be honest with you, other than maybe Dirk, he's probably the hardest working basketball player I've been around. I mean, his work ethic is crazy. As much as he, I mean, he stays on the court. He's always in the gym. Uh, he's lifting weights. We'll be on a, we was on a Zoom call. He was lifting weights while we was on the Zoom call. You know what I mean? He's always flicking his wrist. It's just one of those things. Like he works extremely hard. And when you work that hard, you're gonna have great success. He's not a point guard. He's a two guard. Uh, he knows that. We know that. So he, we play him at the two, and he goes out there and gets buckets. I'm imagining everyone on the Zoom call, like, having a, re- a really important conversation. He's just sitting there curling on the side or yeah, something. Right. It's funny thinking about yeah, that. Yeah, but I think everybody knows that. Everybody understands. He's always trying to do something to improve his game. You know, it, Colin Sexton's life is all about basketball, all about getting better, and all about trying to win games with his team. 
And there's definitely the guys you want on your team. And it, it's mm-hmm. great to think about it. Maybe not even just the present, but just two, three, four years from now. I mean, what the future is going to look like for, for him and for the team. Most recently, obviously, in terms of guys that have really been playing well and, and, and just new additions to the team would be Jared Allen. Everyone's talking about him and how he's been playing really well. Uh, so what have you, I mean, did you guys expect him to play this well um, coming to the team where he's putting up numbers? I'm seeing him on Twitter all the time with like, oh, first player in, in this to have this exactly this stat line. Um, what did, right. how, how shocking was that? And, and what have you seen? Uh, I mean, you never know what, what's going on with somebody in another place, right? Be, you know, he's always been just a pick and roller. And, uh, you know, we got here, we, we're young. Uh, we know he's going to be a part of the core for a long time. So we, we put him in other, you know, situations that he hadn't been into been in before and obviously he's he was uncomfortable with it at first and he's getting more and more comfortable with it he has more talent than what brooklyn allowed him to uh, to show or display shall i say and um we're reaping the benefits from it he's getting more and more confidence uh, he's learning his teammates more and more each day and they're learning him and getting him in better situations to to score more points because i don't think anybody thought he could score as many as points as, as he has since he's gotten here. He's just shooting threes. I mean, Brooklyn will never let him shoot. There's them pick and you roll. You know, we're posting him up. We're giving him opportunities to go ISO. So uh, the talent is there. He works extremely hard. Uh, we just got to find a way to make sure we keep him this offseason. Oh, no, so, so cool to think about that. And he was maybe most a lot of guys talk about three and D guys. He was maybe like a D and D guy. <laughs> That's kind of where mm-hmm. everyone was, was was kind of placing him in that in that in that pigeonhole. But mm-hmm. it's great to think about how you can break that mold and then find ways to find something special. Um, kind of continuing on this thing of like of new I mean, and with new additions, guys that are in the first year with the Cavs, um, with Isaac Okoro and how he was the fifth pick. Um, you how how has he kind of been? How does this kind of show that for him? And where do you see him going? Like how, how maybe have you guys been using him to to get the best out of that young talent? Yeah, I mean, the fifth pick, man, a lot of pressure on the guy who comes out and be the fifth pick. But uh, Rook, you know, Isaac, <laughs> he has a even demeanor. You never know when he's playing bad. You never know when he's playing well. You never know when somebody scores on him. You never know when coach is yelling at him. He just has that even demeanor, even kill. So what we've just been trying to do with him is, you know, put him on the best player on the perimeter, whether it's LeBron or whether it's, you know, Kyrie Irving, doesn't matter. One through three, we're going to put him out there and let him take his lumps this year to understand that his defensive importance is going to be huge for us in the future. And the other thing we're trying to do is we have him become a better shooter, a more consistent shooter, and a more confident shooter, and just be more aggressive on the offensive end. Because we all understand that we can't win championships in Cleveland if Isaac Okor is not an offensive threat, if he's just a defensive guy. We got to have, make sure that he's an offensive threat as well. So we're working on that each and every day. Uh, mainly to to build the confidence in him on the offensive side of the basketball, to take some chances, take some risks out there and be aggressive because the talent is there. Yeah, you know I mean, I tell him all the time, you don't, you don't become the fifth pick in the NBA without having great talent. So don't get to the NBA and stop shooting. You've been shooting your whole life. So be aggressive on the offensive end. And, you know, the last three weeks, he's really done a great job of being more aggressive. So he's getting better. Uh, but, you know, he's a very uh, – young rookie just turned 20 i think it was three or four weeks ago so he's you know just trying to feel his way in the basketball world super cool and then one more player that i'm really curious about is someone that i've had a couple of candidate charge uh coaches on the show and they keep on raving about dean wade um and him being a two-way guy right all i see they, uh, coach tobaldi i think always or actually all of them coach neil um coach Jordan, they always post on their on their instagram stories just videos of him saying like oh look, look at what he's doing in the league 
I mean, just it, it, obviously it's, it's not something that was really happening like when you were playing where guys are on two ways and going back and forth. But now you're seeing guys like him that are able to, to, to live that dream going back and forth. How do you see him adjusting to that and, and actually getting minutes and, and, and being a, a really solid a player on, on, on an NBA team? Yeah, I mean, the first day I got here, uh, I, I wouldn't say the first day, maybe the first week of just having him in the gym and working him out. I was like, I, I told him all the time, Dean, you're, you're an NBA player. You're an NBA rotational player now. I can't be the only one to believe that. You have to believe that because he struggles with with his confidence as well. You know, coming in, not being drafted, going to Kansas State, you know, not winning a lot of games at Kansas State, coming from a small town. Everything's against him. And, you know, it's one of those things that he reminded me of myself because, you know, I went to a, a non-basketball powerhouse. I was from a small town. You know, so sometimes you come from those situations, you don't really understand or or truly believe if you belong. And and he di- he didn't be- believe fully, and now he's believing. Then he's behind Kevin Love, <laughs> Larry Nance Jr., two big time, big time four men in the NBA. So he he gets to compete against them each and every day. So he gets better. And then when both of those guys go down, he's ready to provide that spark similar to Troy Daniels there for us in Houston. And he's playing extremely well right now. Hopefully we can get healthy, and hopefully he can continue to stay in the rotation. But it's part of the NBA, too, is ups and downs. He just got to make sure he's ready when we call his number. The rest of the season is going to be so exciting. And once we get out of the All-Star break and the second half's underway, I really can't wait to start watching more of these guys hopefully continue to prove what, what, what we, I mean, what you, what you already know is that, number one, Dean Wade's an NBA player and that a lot of these other guys that we spoke about are the real deal, um, mm-hmm, which is super sure. important. Yeah. Um, moving over to like kind of stuff outside the NBA that you do with like the, the, the Greg Buckner Basketball Academy, what, what, is, what did that look like? But what made you kind of think about starting your own academy and, and how's that been working out? Yeah, well, I, like I said earlier, I was, um, you know, just being around my son. My son was six and I had a bunch of nephews that w- was just around and played the game in, in the neighborhood and things like that. And, you know, when you got a bunch of nephews, you're going to have a bunch of other boys floating around, hanging out. And uh, we just started, my brother, my brother played at Duke. So we just got together and started to build that academy. I'm just, we had some girls as well who fizzled out on us because they was like, no, this is too tough. But it, we just started it just to enjoy being around the game and to give back to the next generation. You know, somebody gave the, the basketball knowledge and, and the time, more importantly to us when we were young. And we wanted to do the same thing with the academy. And it's been, it's been going well. It's, when I'm not working, I'm doing something with the youth uh, when it comes to basketball, whether it's AAU or whether it's what we like to call rec league, those guys in the development stage of the game. And we're always doing something to try to, you know, to enhance their game and enhance the game of basketball by giving them great knowledge. So key to make sure they're sharing the game. And, and obviously we always talk about the future with the Cavs and these are 20, 30 year old grown men, but there's also right. kids that, that really need that, that, that kind of care and attention too. I kind of outside from coaching, I thought it was interesting to see that you worked as an analyst for a little bit with Fox and the Mavs and the mm-hmm. Pelicans. What did like is that is, is was that a real passion of yours? Did you did you really enjoy doing it? And and is there a chance we see you behind the mic again? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's the best job in the world, man. You know, coaching is good, uh, but doing TV is unbelievable. I mean, you you get to really you get to be completely honest because as a coach, you can't be completely honest. You know, what I mean, or you get fired or somebody be mad, but on TV, you can be completely honest. I'm, I'm a guy that loves to laugh. I get to laugh on TV. I get to joke with my, my co-hosts. I get to joke with my producers and things like that. We get to really have good in-depth conversations either on air or behind the scenes. I work with some great people at Fox, still people I talk to, uh, you know, once or twice a week. Not maybe not twice a week, once a week or once every other week, you know. So it's one of those relationships that I probably will end up back 
on TV one day, but I'm not ready to go back right now. But, you know, when my kids get out the house and they go do their things, it gives you more freedom to go do what you want to do and see those, see them play in college and things like that. Uh, super cool to think about uh, just all the different ways that you can kind of express this love for the game. Thinking about mm-hmm. just, we kind of touched through all these parts, parts in your career, parts in your basketball life is that we, we kind of kind of went through everything really quickly and going from, from, from stop to stop, just looking back at it in its entirety. Is there like a, maybe a, a game or maybe even a specific moment in the game, whether it's you playing or you coaching on the sideline, that like one moment, only one that you just will never forget ever. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I, I who man, it was so many moments. I think the one moment I, I I'll never forget is probably walking off that court in Golden State uh, when I was in Dallas in 07, where we truly had we truly was the best team in the NBA and had a chance to win a ring, and we didn't get it done. That moment sticks with me because you know we you know always you always think you'll get another chance at that time. You know, I thought I was gonna come back to Dallas, talk to Avery, and you know, ask him, you know. You know, what do I need to do to make sure that we don't have to go through this again where they got big guards and you don't trust to play me and things like that. But I never got that opportunity. So I got traded, you know, day, day before training camp, thinking that I was going to build a team that was going to compete for a championship to trade it to a rebuilding franchise. That was the probably the, the day that I'll never forget and the situation I'll never forget. And I try to remind these guys that I coach now that, you know, don't take anything for granted because, you never know. You think you're going to be somewhere for a while, and you're not. Hey, thank you so much for talking about that because it's something that you don't really hear too much. It's, it's great to know that, that you're able to sh- shed that advice and that light onto, onto so many young players that, that hopefully don't have to go through that, but, but, but potentially might. Um, and it, it's super important to think about that, as well as the thinking about how you're, you, you have a chance now in Cleveland, hopefully, um, to do a similar thing over the next few years, which, yeah. which that's, all, that's, that's what's important. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things like, you know, I was in a really good place in Denver and, and, you know, you, there's two things you do as a player, you know, you got to maximize your income. So you, you chase the money thinking you're in a better situation and, and you want to be uh, on a team that can win a championship. You thought you had that opportunity, which we did, but we didn't get it done. And I look back on it. Uh, two things. I, I probably should have stayed in Denver and played with Melo and George Carl and those guys and try to build a championship with them. But if I wouldn't have made that decision, I probably wouldn't be coaching now. I probably wouldn't be with JB. We wouldn't be as close as we are. So, I mean, it's some positives and some negatives from that situation. But I never got that ring. So I'm still searching for that ring and that parade coach right now. Of course. And, and that's what everything happens for a reason. That's that, that's mm-hmm. what's so important to think about is that what, what, what didn't work out worked out in so many other ways. And, and what you're doing now with right. coaching is just so cool. So, um, right. Coach, I mean, thank you so much for coming on. This was this was awesome thinking about just all the different stuff, whether it's your playing career, coaching, every every everywhere you've been. Um, it's funny because we're looking looking at your thing. I was like, there's so many things to talk about here. There's so many cool teams <laughs> and so many so many moments and and so, yeah. and, and so many guys that that really. Um, it was really awesome speaking to you, and I really can't wait to keep in touch and and and, and reconnect oh, again sure. because what you're doing now, yeah, it's it's so cool, and, and can't wait to see this Cavs team uh, really take off after this All Star break. Yeah, I appreciate you reaching out to me. And, uh, yeah, for sure, we'll stay in touch. And I'd love to come on your show anytime you need me. Just, you know, give me a holler and we'll make it happen. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Gen Z Hoops. Make sure to follow, like, and subscribe on Instagram, LinkedIn, and all major social media platforms at Gen Z Hoops. You can tune in and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and every other podcast platform on the planet. Get ready for the next episode.